I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk. Warning. The following episode contains subject matter and scenes that some viewers may find upsetting, disturbing, or unnerving. Please note, viewer discretion is advised at all times. Sit back and enjoy. Thank you for calling the Anchorage Archery Society. One of our operators will be happy to speak with you shortly. If you'd like to hold and speak with an operator, please press 1. If you'd like to leave a message, please press 2. Please hold. While you wait, why not hear about our latest star addition to the team, Mr. Hansen. Mr. Hansen is a prolific hunter, one to watch for sure. He currently holds a pilot's license and owns a wonderful cabin in the woods. He's been known to hunt all kinds of prey. Be sure to say hello next time you're in town. He may whisk you away for a glorious weekend in the snow. Happy hunting! Welcome back to another I Can Murder a Podcast, episode number two of series five. I'm Tom Norris. And I'm joined by dressed like a Spanish agent, Ben oh, Carter. Thank you so much. Good to be back in the the main channel flow. Another episode of the main series. Um, how are you adjusting to life being back in the main I, channel flow? It feels homely. It does feel homely. Yeah. I mean, I hope uh, people are not noticing the homely new logo. Home in on that, Bonzi. <laughs> how, um, how you doing, producer Dan? Yeah, very good. Thanks. Glad to have you boys back in. We're back in and we're, we're ready to go. And of course, a big thank you to Gully Garms for kitting us out this series. Of course, don't forget to use our code MURDER20 for 20% off at the store. They've kitted us out, Ben. They have. And yeah. we're very thankful. I was saying, Dan, before we started, if, if I, this was to sum up any sport, I said rollerblading, the jumper I'm wearing, and then I went to street hockey. Yeah, I could see it. What's that? Blade Runner, actually. Not a sport, though. Uh, well, the sport, they, they were playing a sport of their lives. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, true. Big stakes. Stakes yeah. in the heart. There you go, let's keep this energy going. Yeah, so yeah, very happy to be back with another big case, and we hope everyone enjoyed the series opener of The Zodiac Killer. Uh, the mystery continues as far as we're aware. Well, I think we um, solved it, man. Well, there's also that to contend with. And talking of solving things, Tom, if you're on the lookout for more content, and you're looking in all <laughs> nooks and crannies and all around the corner, and you can't find any extra... <laughs> Sorry, that was a stretch. That was a stretch. That was a stretch. <sighs> And speaking of solving things, if you just can't get enough of I Could Murder a Podcast, then we've got your problem solved. Why not head over to patreon.com forward slash pod, where we've got almost 60 episodes uh, behind the scenes available in video, audio, um, you know, working on scriptual... Pictures. Uh, There's pictures there. 
Uh, there's polls for you to vote on when you want to pick the minisodes. We've also yeah. got a brand new series we're doing, which is, is news stories, where we have a bit of a chat between ourselves about the, the kind of latest news and true crime as well, and have a bit of an informal chat on there as well. So uh, yeah, you might have seen some clips over on Instagram. If you don't follow us, it's at Good Murder Pod, and over there you might have seen the footage of different setup in the studio. It's a bit more relaxed over there, isn't it, Ben? Yeah, definitely. And it's the best way to stay uh, in the loop in in terms of what we're doing, what we're up to, what episodes are coming up. Twitter and Instagram at Good Murder Pod. We also have a Facebook page. Just search I Could Murder a Podcast will pop up there um, and that's pretty much it for the socials and we're also very excited to welcome our resident doctor dr das to the i could murder podcast family and he'll be giving us a bit more of a thought out uh, professional take on the case we are covering today yeah and if you haven't already why not subscribe to his channel a psych for sore minds and if you haven't already why not subscribe to our channel i could murder a podcast please seriously <laughs> we need this no seriously, seriously they're, they're barely moving what why are you not subscribing? <laughs> Actually, a lot of people that aren't subscribed are watching. So if you haven't, click that bell. Yeah, and get the notification bell on as well. Because some people go, oh, I didn't realise you've released something new. Put the bell on, mate. You'll hear it. That's what they say. And also, guys, if you're interested in a little bit of merch, you're like, maybe you've got a birthday coming up. Maybe you've got, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, the, the day of love soon, isn't it? It Very is uh, Valentine's Day. Why not get some clobber? We've got hats, we've got candy, we've got Valentine's Day candy. Ooh, that, you probably need four of those for a romantic table, so get the four. <laughs> so we arrive at episode two Robert Hansen, the, the butcher, butcher, baker, baker killer, candlestick maker. Had to. I had to. We're not too happy with the name, the Butcher Baker. We don't think it's clicky enough. Well, we the don't... Butcher Baker Killer is just a lot of errors, isn't it? Uh, uh, and I think, yeah, like you said, the Butcher Baker, it's just something to listen off his three interests. Yeah, Bob the Baker. Yeah, as I said, a sight for four eyes because he's got glasses and he uses a gun. But that's not really. Still good, though. Still good. It works as a pun. It's all right. Yeah. The Alaskan Assassin. We'll probably come up with a better name, hopefully, in, in the meantime. If we do, if we have gone for the Butcher Baker Killer, we have failed as a podcast to you guys, because that is a terrible, terrible name. So if we think of anything super catchy on the drive home, we'll just pipe one of us over now, maybe even producer Dan, um, with the new title. So, fingers crossed. <laughs> but anyway, this case, Ben, it's a very interesting one. I remember when we were doing just stats about random killers on Instagram, this one yes. in particular always stuck with me. as like, that sounds fascinating, that case. Though I think the legend has kind of been elaborated by people over time. What I'm talking about here is, is the, the the kind of idea that he would set women free in the forests and hunt them down. Yeah. We had the sight and Robert Hansen in the picture, and also he looks quite like a little bit... Uh, Unassuming. Yeah. Harmless. That's, that's a nicer way of what I was going to say. Well, you can say it. A fucking nerd. <laughs> no. Um, a dweeb. Um, but Dog. I can call him a dweeb because he's a... Horrible killer. But basically, yeah, that always kind of stuck with me. That has to be an inter interesting one to do. And it's a very different one as well because a lot of the actual um, recollection of what happened, it's come from him rather yeah. than... Because there wasn't a lot of survivors. We very are, few witness statements. And a lot of the times, um, the people, we'll get into the people that he was targeting, they kind of... Them making themselves scarce in that general area wasn't too um, surprising. So the police didn't follow up some leads and... And yeah, it's not been proven that some of the bodies found later on was him, but they were linked to him. It's a very interesting but quite convoluted and in aspects case. Yeah, and I'm excited to break this one down. There's a lot to it, and you'll be happy about this. There is a film about the case. There is a film about the case. I haven't watched it in preparation for this episode. I have watched it, but not in the recent oh, tra tra Trailer didn't sell it to me massively. Uh, it's not bad. It's just not amazing. It's yeah. uh, from what I remember so long ago. I think if I there's a crime going about or serial killer knocking about I wouldn't want Nicolas Cage looking for him 
But anyway, should we get, kind of get into the early life of Robert Hansen? The Butcher Baker Killer. The Butcher Baker Killer. Absolutely. The Baker's Dozen? Nah, mm. killed more than a dozen. So Robert Christian Hansen was born on the 15th of February 1939 in Esterville, Iowa. So I did a little bit of research here, Tom. Get everything prepared and in, in line. Esterville. Thought it sounded quite interesting. Um, you do. You tend to like words. Yeah. Checked it out. Uh, nothing exceptional. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Robert Hansen, in fact, is probably the most exceptional thing Not to come exceptional. out of. Not exceptional. Probably exceptional is the wrong term. Definitely wrong term. Um, notable people from Esterville. Uh, Robert Hansen's probably at number one. Infamous people to come out of. Esther. There we go. Thank you for saving me. It was named after a lady called Esther. Yep. Unsurprisingly. Um, the only other thing I know is that a meteorite landed there in the 1800s. Um, and Robert Hansen was born there. So, sorry guys, nothing... Uh... So if you feel like you need the need to visit Esterville, you don't need to now. Ben's yeah. told you all the interesting facts. There you go. And they so... weren't <laughs> even interesting. His father, Christian, who was a Danish immigrant, was overbearing as well as physically and verbally aggressive, and he ruled the household with an iron fist, whereas his mother, Edna, was very much submissive and a very quiet, reserved lady. From an early age, Hansen had a very strained, difficult relationship with his father, which isn't too dissimilar to a lot of these cases, mm. and was very much a mother's boy as well. We have covered a few mother's boys in our, in our time. Though due to the family dynamic, he was actually made to spend more time with his dad than his mother. So basically, the Hansen family uh, owned a bakery, and from a very early age, Hansen was made to work in the bakery excessively long hours after school with his dad, which kind of you'd expect maybe they'd bond a fair bit, you know. And if he wouldn't, apparently he'd get hot cross buns from his father. Because he liked them, they were tasty. Treat. It was cold outside to so get ice fingers. Not so good. That was, that was, no, that was better. Oh, that was better? Yeah. <laughs> nah. But before we carry on, we want to thank one of this week's sponsors, Grind. So Grind makes delicious, sustainable coffee, Tom. And what I really like about them is the fact that they use compostable coffee pods that fit straight into any kind of standard Nespresso machine, which uh, I actually treated myself to the other week, and it is delicious. Somebody's doing very well. Even better, now you've got Grind. It's the type of coffee, Tom, that in the morning you need a little pick-me-up, you need a little kick, but it's also reassuring. Um, it's warm and friendly and uplifting. And that's exactly what we want from a coffee. Yeah, it's a great point you make about the, the combustible pods because 29,000 plastic coffee pods go to landfill every minute. That's ridiculous. 30 billion pods a year. So Grind are doing their bit there to help the environment. And I know you're a flash git with your coffee machine, but yeah. they also do ground coffee as well. And it's all 100% plastic free. And they also get a nice little pink tin, which you can reuse. Stylish looking tin. It is stylish. Yeah. And uh, don't just take our word for it as well, guys. Not only do we love the coffee, but if you give them a little Google and check them out, they actually are rated as excellent on Trustpilot. And people can leave some awful reviews on Trustpilot. You can be completely honest on there. And some of the big coffee names in the pod space are not at their level which you know is backed up by the taste and like i said grind are really doing their bit to help their environment and with their carbon positive shipping they're protecting over forty thousand trees in the conservation project in the amazon so there you have it anything from a flat white to an espresso martini get your hands on grind and put some coffee in your mouth why not get your first 30 combustible coffee pods for just £5 plus that stylish pink refillable grind tin when you go to grind.co.uk and use code ICMAP at checkout. That's over 60% off of the perfect cup of coffee at home. You can skip, pause or cancel your membership at any time. There's no hassle and no commitments. And we love no commitments. We love it. No strings attached. The yum yum. Sip sip. Ding ding. Well. And now back to the case. 
While Robert was working away in the bakery, other children in his neighbourhood would be, you know, out having a social life, playing with friends. He would see this, but instead be made to, to, to work in the bakery long hours. We don't know for sure if it was something he, you know, he wanted to follow in his father's uh, footsteps or if this was something that he was kind of made to do from a very early age. Yeah, it's... he. Did. Later on in life, he didn't seem to have such a great disdain towards his father or didn't seem to verbalise it much. And But we know from other cases as well, like if you're not allowed to socialise, you're not allowed to do those things, it can really affect you, especially the way you grow up. You might grow up too fast as well and kind of think, have a real sense of wanting power and kind of being a bit smug around this. You know, might, if you were slightly bullied about not being able to play, you could be like, well, actually, I'm working a job and you kind of liken that power as well. But Ben, obviously, um, some of the listeners will know that you used to work in a bakery. Many moons. Many okay. moons ago. Yeah. Um, maybe just kind of fill us in. What is the, what is the life of a baker like? Give us a, give us a few <laughs> little facts. Things we probably didn't expect. A lot of pros, actually. A lot of pros to that job. One of the best jobs I've ever had. Not pro bakers. I mean, I was, but semi, semi-pro. Can you tell me any uh, facts? Sorry, yeah. Uh, well, first of all, early hours. Be ready to get up uh, in the middle of the night. That's um, negative. Go on. Well, no, because then the, the benefit of that is you wrap up around midday. Um, you sleep all day. Midday you, crew. You, you used to sleep a lot, didn't you? <laughs> I, did used to sleep a lot, yeah. Not a lot, but a little. No, you were a sleepy boy. Sleepy boy, yeah. You used to wake me up quite a lot, yeah. singing, right on time. Oh, because oh, oh, you were never right on time. Yeah, well, I still... Yeah, still struggle with that. Anyway, next. Um, okay, so uh, you, you start early, you finish early, which is great. What uh, time for the did right you people. start? Uh, used to do a mixture of 3 a.m.s uh, to midday. Wow. And if I... That's not finishing early. You're finishing... You, you, yeah, but you're not... Uh, still a... Just normal shift. A lot of people are not even halfway through their days yet, and I'm cruising home. But like, you've done you know, a lot of people in bed. A lot of people in bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hit the pub. Um, By yourself at twelve. Yeah, pass. well, <laughs> lifestyle, isn't it? <laughs> it's a lifestyle. <laughs> Another good thing: be prepared to be greeted by wonderful uh, odors. Yeah. Um, fragrances probably a better word to use um, a, lot, a very physical job people don't understand that dough is actually very heavy in uh, in mass portions you need to understand that though. you do need you need that's why I just did that's why I did yeah. that um, the, you know the heart and soul of a bakery not only is the bakers obviously but uh, provers provers are very important provers in the pudding aren't they? well absolutely but provers uh, are basically like large warm they're nice to walk in if you're a little bit sleepy. Walk-in provers. Um, we did have some. Uh, Where's the bakery that you worked in? Hey, come on. No, what was it? It's nice just... family run? Yeah. It was... Uh... Big family. Really big family. Massive, yeah. Orange logo. Um, was it Tesco? Oh, sorry. I was just thinking what colour the... Sainsbury's. Logo. I was thinking. Yeah. Every little helps. Anyway. Um, um, any other bakery facts? A lot of those weren't facts. They were just kind of half opinions from you. Yeah. Well, you asked for half a... I, I wanted um, things people don't know. Oh. What? Early hours. <laughs> I think you'd have seen Nice that. smells. Again? Yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah, okay. We tried something. <laughs> so Hanson was born left-handed, but he was forced to write with his right hand, which apparently that's quite a common thing. Um, same with the Zodiac, I guess. It was... Or one of the um, suspects of the Zodiac case was... That was looked at being an oddity. So it was, you were kind of forced to use your other hand because that was more normalised. He also had a stutter as a child as well, which really did not help his development in terms of being social with other children because he was being yeah. bullied for that. And his father, who was, you know, very kind of, very Christian as well, he thought that just being good and, you know, praying and whatnot would solve that stutter rather than actually getting him proper care and, you know, getting him therapy and speech therapy for that. 
So in school, Hansen experienced a lot of additional challenges. He found it difficult to socialise, as Tom has said. He was regarded very much as a loner. Um, he was incredibly shy, but also suffered with severe facial acne, which would later uh, scar and, and remain throughout his adult life. Very short, skinny, um, isolated individual. And he felt that, he, you know, there was nothing wrong with him. He felt that he was still wanting to, keen to make friends, keen to socialise, had a fondness for the ladies as he as he came into his teenage years. But Hansen would find uh, his attempts to uh, make advances with, with girls or, or to be social uh, with other, other students at the school would very much be shut down. Yeah, and as you mentioned earlier, with his dad forcing him into the kind of bakery business, well, we're assuming it's forced, he also didn't kind of, you know, if he was if he was playing with the children social on the street, he probably would have got more confidence to kind of see how other, other children interact as well. And that being taken away from him, I would say it's starting this development and kind of understanding kind of this is how you you know interact yeah. and whatnot. So it basically, yeah, he was able to see all the other teenagers and being envious of other teenagers and how they interacted and would go on to kind of date one another. And uh, yeah, it, it kind of just left him brooding a little bit. Very similar to a recent case we've covered, uh, Michael Jackson, except swap the stage for a small bakery. Ed Gain as well, who was forced to work on the farm and didn't really socialise. This case especially, um, there's a lot of kind of correlations with other cases we've covered um, and kind of yeah not having a not having a childhood is definitely something that would affect your growth and affect how you would behave later on for most of his life Hansen was uh, very skinny and very short and as he got older he did start to crave attention from girls um, as he entered his teenage years but was met mostly by them bullying and mocking him for being awkward as well as for his looks his stutter and his stature most other girls that he approached would simply ignore him as if he didn't exist as I mentioned, with Hansen experiencing other people um, and being envious of them dating and whatnot, uh, this actually led to Hansen experiencing an outburst of rage when he began to throw stones at a couple for holding hands in front of him outside of the family bakery. He was disciplined by his father as a result of this. So yeah, that's uh, a big jump just out of nowhere because I mean, we haven't gone yeah. through anything yet that's, that would, you know, that kind of reaction. And it was, to clarify, it was stones that he was throwing. It wasn't rock cakes from the bakery um, that he was throwing. Rock cakes sounds horrible. Uh, it's a northern thing. As a teen, Hansen felt very isolated and completely powerless about his situation. He felt rejected not only by all the girls at his school, but also by kind of own members of his family. He hadn't made any friends. He had no one to confide to. So all these problems that are building up, he's got no release and no way to kind of vent his frustrations. And he started forming fantasies of harming and torturing females in order to make them pay for his rejection. So a lot of commonalities again, and he's consistent commonalities with other cases we've covered but um elliot roger then comes yeah. to mind so yeah he's possibly forming a little bit of an incel mindset there yeah i think i agree that's definitely definitely a lot of uh, things there similar to elliot roger in terms of not having the attention and stuff and acting out angrily at couples when seeing them definitely something that elliot roger did as well perhaps due to his social isolation and rural location hansen formed an interest in the outdoors getting into hunting fishing and archery he was good at all these things and began to regularly practice hunting and archery so this is the kind of first time Hansen's found something that he particularly enjoys and, and he's, he's very good at as well, which kind of gives him a sense of power and purpose. But also along with this, the feeling of inadequacy and everything is, is rising to a dangerous level here. So he's getting really good at a dangerous sport and mm -hmm. hating people. Deadly combination. It is a deadly combination. So uh, One of the worst. Yeah. 
1957, the same year as he graduated from high school, Hansen enlisted in the US Army Reserve, where again, as, as Tom mentioned with the hunting and, and the archery skills, he very quickly became a skilled marksman. Though he was there for only a year, and during this time he would also continue to make trips to work part-time from the family bakery, um, he was eventually uh, discharged, and we're not exactly sure as to the reason behind that, but again, there's kind of similarities there with Israel Keys. He had mm. a, an interest in the outdoors, an interest in hunting. During this time he would also have his first sexual experience and this was via a sex worker and this possibly resulted with all these other feelings building up inside him all of this suppressed rage and anger towards females so he's had this encounter with a sex worker and possibly felt a sense of superiority and that's possibly helped him gain a bit more confidence a bit more sense of control um, and would no doubt have given himself, you know, a bit of a, a, a boost of self-esteem. Definitely, yeah. I mean, we'll go into it later on a little bit more in detail, but it, apparently he didn't particularly enjoy or like that first experience um, as a paying customer. He kind of thought of it. So he kind of also gave him a sense of uh, anger and hatred towards sex workers as well, which he definitely would go on to... Uh, elaborate on later on. Shortly after his return, Hansen would start volunteering as an assistant drill sergeant at the Pocahontas Police Academy. I don't remember Disney's Pocahontas as well as uh, the next guy. Otherwise, I have a really good joke prepared for that one. Would you have had a really good joke? I might have, if I had enough time. I don't remember the story. I remember the captain looking for her on the boat. No, that was Peter Pan. Oh, bloody hell. Comment section. Uh, any good Pocahontas jokes? Yeah, I'm just thinking Grandmother Willow and the Colour of the Wind, but neither of those could really work into that. Um, but Grandmother Willow, though, that big tree that spoke, and then and then Mother Care had a big tree that spoke. I always thought it was a bit creepy. That's about as far as I can go. But Pocahontas as a name, I never knew was was a thing of a place. Yeah, place, so. yeah. Uh, Pocahontas Police Academy. Uh, it writes itself. Uh, and while working... It evidently doesn't. And before we continue, we want to say a massive thank you to one of this week's episode's sponsors, Noom. Now, Ben, obviously, everyone wants to be fitter, healthier, look better, and more comfortable in their own skin. And, you know, lots of people try different types of diets, yo-yo diets. One of the big things like intermittent fasting, we've both done that before. Mm. Noom's different because it arms you with a psychological-based approach. Instead of setting strict rules, it's empowering you and, and learning your behaviour, whilst also teaching you a diet which you're able to maintain and stick to. What I really like about Noom, Tom, is that they believe there's more to your health than just your diet and that the psychological elements at play, particularly your mindset and your approach, really plays a, a vital part. They get to know you and your, your eating habits as well as your exercise habits to support the development in whatever goal you're trying yeah, to achieve. Yeah, exactly that. It's not one size fits all. When you're signing up to Noom, there's a questionnaire at the beginning, really easy to fill in. It's learning about your habits, learning about how much free time you have, what kind of things you're looking to do exactly. It's Kind of like you've got a friendly scientist who's telling you to do things in a nice way. It's not having a personal fitness trainer screaming at you doing these things. It's just a nice scientist saying these things will work for you and also it'll be good for your mind as well as your body. And Noom have very kindly offered to sort out our listeners uh, by heading over to noom.com forward slash ICMAP and signing up to their trial. You only have to check in very briefly. There's no gruelling amounts of data entry. They basically take all the stress away from a diet or health plan. And one of the things I like about Noom is using cognitive behaviour approach and it's teaching you to unlearn bad habits and better understand your relationship with food it's a new approach and the scientific evidence to show that it lasts longer and people stick to it so if you head over to noom.com forward slash icmap so that's noom.com forward slash icmap lose the weight for good and sign up for your trial at noom and now back to the case 
And whilst working in Pocahontas, Hansen met and fell in love with a younger girl called Phoebe Paget, whom he would later go on to marry in the summer of 1960. However, the, the marriage would only last for six months, as Hansen was later arrested for burning down a barn belonging to his local school that contained three of the school buses. The motivation for doing this was uh, in part kind of a complex he developed in terms of carrying out an act of revenge on people that he felt had wronged him. Yeah. Quite an interesting story as to how he was caught and what happened there. So basically, the Hansen family had hired a young boy to support in the bakery. Um, Hansen, you know, no friend, so started to confide in, in this young boy and the young boy kind of looked up to him slightly, literally looked, you know. Um, you should short, yeah, maybe it would have been about sort of like that. Doesn't matter. Uh, if you're listening, I'm just kind of looking slightly mm. upwards at Tom. Um, Apparently the ball was really tall as well, I read. Bakery. Develops a bit of a friendship with this young boy in the bakery, conspires to, to start this fire. Hansen is a retained firefighter at the time as well, so not only does he light the fire, he later returns, you know, going, oh, what's happened here then? Trying to put the fire out. The young boy would double-cross him, double-hot cross buns, which if you double-crossed it, you could make in a, you know, if you wanted more bakery uh, facts. Also, left-handed bakers exist, so that's another, you know, let's round that up. Later down the line, Hansen thought, he, you know, got away with the perfect crime, burnt down a school barn as well as three buses inside it. But that's very much the same kind of thing like we said before, somebody returning to the scene of the crime. Like yeah. Returning yeah. to, like, the hero. Arrogance. He is, isn't it? And was he yeah. really trying to put it out? Well, there you go, yeah. Oh, my hose isn't... <laughs> also, it looks a little... <laughs> Glasses go flying. Yeah. Hansen! <laughs> you bloody knew it. You know, a few months later down the line, although promising his wife and his family that he had nothing to do with the arson, uh, the young boy eventually ratted him out. Yeah, and his wife was very, very religious, wasn't she? So yeah. she could stand by him, believing that he, he hadn't done the crime. Yeah. And then eventually when it did come out that he did, um, she then filed for divorce. Yeah. So as a result, Hansen not only divorced, but sentenced to serve three years in prison. Whilst in prison, he was diagnosed as having an infantile personality as well as possible bipolar disorder and periodic schizophrenic episodes. He only actually ended up, despite this, serving 20 months of the three-year sentence, uh, so just over half the sentence. And he would consistently tell the prison psychiatrist that he had obsessions about carrying out revenge on people he felt had wronged him. And It's a surprise you let him out early for that. Apparently he was the model inmate. He was helping other people write and read and he was being a good Christian boy in theory. And that's kind of what really helped him get released early. But surely if you confide in him saying you're planning revenges, yeah. maybe keep him in for the whole, the whole stint. Bloody good baker in the prison bakery. Is there a prison Mince bakery? Pie? Uh, probably not. Mince pie? <laughs> Seasonal. Yeah. Um, winter. Um, and autumn sometimes. Is it? <laughs> Why are you saying words that yeah, don't mince line up? Seasonal. What I found quite interesting about that was the infantile uh, personality. Um, because he was, you know, the only friend he had in the world was this young boy young boy in the bakery his his um his marriage uh, his first marriage was to a much younger younger girl so possibly they were saying that um the socialization of his childhood that was missing perhaps mm. made him mature a lot later in life yeah i think um, so that kind of that diagnosis i can i can see the arson though that's kind of out of nowhere i guess um, if it's just seeking revenge isn't it that's yeah he's a quick way and, and if he is the fire if he has trained in firefighting maybe he thinks he knows a, a thing or two about how to cover his tracks but evidently 
not as much as he thought he did. And Hansen would also go on to be arrested several more times for stealing and burglary, although he was never officially charged with any of these crimes. While serving this prison sentence, Hansen's parents uh, relocated and left Effersville. As he came out of prison, uh, he would marry for a second time, and this time to Darla Hemrickson, who he'd also go on to have two children with. Um, and the pair decided to move to Anchorage, uh, Alaska, which is really where things will start to escalate and the scene of this timeline we're going to go into shortly. Darla had a master's degree in education and she actually taught children with learning disabilities. You can imagine, obviously, from the the hobbies and skills that, that um, Hansen had developed with the outdoors, that Alaska was almost the perfect location for yeah. him to maybe even get a fresh start, get away from it all. Uh, the relationship was said to be very abrasive. Uh, the pair strangely seemed to live their own separate lives together under the same roof so whilst they didn't share any of the family income or the property itself that they lived in Darla essentially kept the house running and all of the income that she generated supported the family whereas Hansen's income said to have kept to his own needs. Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This dynamic is really interesting between uh, Dala and Hansen. So as well as her supporting the family with her own income, she would also support Hansen financially when he was incarcerated several times for theft. Uh, so she would always be there to bail him out. She'd always be there to get him back on his feet again. So she seems like an all-round good person and she's not put off by the fact that he's consistently going back to prison. Well, I think he was also quite manipulative as well, wasn't he? And we don't know. Obviously, the relationship was very abrasive, like you said. Maybe it was a, it was very much a case of staying together for the kids, and mm-hmm. she just wanted to put a brave face on it, and didn't want the kids to suffer by him being in prison. Yeah, there's not a lot of accounts from the children, and obviously they wanted to have distanced themselves from him. So there's not really a lot from them in terms of how they found growing up and what the kind of ins and outs were. But yeah, Darla obviously working with um, people, uh, children with disabilities. She sounds like a yeah a, a stand up character where he sounds. Very much the opposite. In this new life that um, that Hansen has, has, has formed for himself in Anchorage, uh, he was well liked by his neighbours and became an avid hunter. He would actually go on to set several local hunting records almost immediately after relocating. Hansen's weapon of choice was a Ruger Mini 14 hunting rifle, hunter's knife, and a bow and arrow. There are some very famous pictures of him with his bow and arrow and some game that he had just hunted. And again, he just looks so, you know, these big game hunters that are quite controversial. You see him all over Twitter. They look the type in the photos, not to stereotype, but he just looks so out of place next to a an animal's carcass. All right, so Hanson's in Alaska now. He has the great outdoors at his feet. He's surrounded by, you know, acres and acres of empty space where he can kind of roam, you know, hunting with his friends that he likes to do. Uh, he seems to have a wife who's able to bail him out with some of his shady little crimes. Mm. But uh, you kind of think, okay, well, maybe this was a fresh start of him. Like, like fresh snow of footprints. Maybe he could start again. But things go on to get a lot, lot darker in Hansen's life. So now we're going to go into our timeline. November 22nd, 1971. Hansen tried to abduct Susan Heppard, who was an employee of a local real estate company. He followed her home after thinking that he saw her give him a flirtatious look. 
When Susan turned down Hansen's advances, he returned with a pistol and the intent to kidnap her. She screamed, her roommate saw what was going on and called the police and Hansen made his getaway. So yeah, he, he basically was, I think he was walking along and she was driving the car. She looked, I think she literally just looked at him and he yeah. thought, that's flay. He got in his car, drove behind her, followed her home, went to her door to kind of see, you know, know. see if she was interested in going on a date and she turned, like, turned him down. I know you saw me back there and now I'm here. Well, apparently she didn't actually realise that it was, she was like, I do recognise him from, from where? So she, she had no idea who he was anyway. So he's kind of gone up to the door very presumptuously yeah. and then been turned down and then going and get a gun is quite a... Uh, with the roommates calling the police, shortly after a squad car spotted Hanson's car and made the arrest, one of the policemen after questioning him got suspicious that he was intending to rape Susan, so he took colour photographs of Hanson and kept a log of it. Apparently they were making this new, a new thing of having a book of like potential um, sexual predators and he was the, on page number one and then Hanson was released on bail awaiting a court date. I was going to say that's a, not a book you want to be in in any case but page number one 19th of december 1971 whilst on bail so yeah he's he's on bail he knows he's on bail so he but that doesn't deter him he abducts 18 year old sex worker patricia roberts at gunpoint from downtown anchorage with her in the car and being held hostage he pulled over and bound her wrist behind her back with leather shoelaces he apparently was kind of ogling at patricia and he wanted her to uh, remove her bra but Patricia was quite calm at the sec and said it was expensive. She didn't want to like get, rip it off. So um, he apparently was quite polite in his actions. And but they pulled over and made her get completely naked. And he also did. He said he also did this as well, was because he didn't think she would make a run for it in you know that kind of horrible weather naked. So he he's put it down to a practical sense, but. It's obviously just for his perversions as well. Hansen drove a total of 160 miles with Patricia naked laying down in the back seat. Hansen, when, re when recalling this, said, Once I had her, I didn't really know what to do with her. If she was scared, gentlemen, I can honestly say I was more scared. Which is a crazy thing for him to say. Yeah. And he's, if you listen to the way he speaks and these things, I mean, he obviously grew up with a stutter and whatnot, but he sounds very like he's the victim every time. Yep. Yeah, him, when, I, when I heard him say that, I was... It's infuriating, if anything. You want to give him slap him around the face. Yeah, and he, he said at the time as well, when he'd go on to discuss other victims and other kidnappings, other, you know, people taking hostage, at the point of taking them, he hadn't made, made his mind up if he was going to kill them, if he was going to assault and release them, if he was going to release and then hunt them. Although he'd planned everything else, the moment he picked his victim and, and took them, it was still very up in the air. Basically, they did what he said without any hesitation, without, you know, if, if, he, if they were kind of, followed his actions then yeah he, he would sometimes keep his cool when they reached the Kenai peninsula hansen pulled into a motel put a coat on patricia and marched her into a room once inside the room he sexually assaulted her so after this hansen um would have a have a kind of a couple hours sleep and then he got her back in the car and once in the car patricia believed that they were on the way back to anchorage until she noticed hansen making a u-turn and drive deeper and deeper into the wilderness which you can imagine would be terrifying and um, hansen forced her out of the car pointed a gun at her and told her to run patricia didn't for the actions she fell to her knees and begged him not to kill her she promised she wouldn't reveal anything of what had happened hansen threw her in the back of the car claiming that he'd saw something in the trees and he was worried that they were being watched and then they drove back to anchorage so i don't know whether or not he decided against killing her after hearing the pleads or she, he actually did think he saw someone in the, in, in the forest there and also this very much does lift up to the legend of him wanting to hunt someone down because he had the gun in his hand he said run but patricia he did get back in the car and they did drive back to anchorage and patricia offered hansen her license so she so he could take note of her, her name and when she lived so she wouldn't you know to ensure she kept a promise of not um telling anyone 
But instead, he wrote down the name of her parents and friend. He would kill them if she ever told anyone anything about that night. So Patricia partially kept her word, but she did go on to tell her brother and father most of the details, not all of them. But her father was actually a policeman. Yeah. Um, she didn't want to go to the police and reveal the, what her job was as a sex worker because she didn't want to embarrass her father or, or embarrass the family name. It was a bit real hard moment for her, her, her dad. I believe her dad... It's hard to know if he, if he didn't want her to go come forward because of that. Well, he made her keep it quiet for a little bit, didn't he? Yeah, I think, but I think she wanted to as well because she was worried about the repercussions as well. It's, it's, it's a very horrible situation, and she would have been terrified as well. And I'm sure they're just glad that she was back in the family home. Every time I hear that line that she's on her knees in front of him, begging for her life, and he's not even acknowledging her, just looking straight into mm. the woods. Every time I hear that line, I'm thinking that he's looking at the woods as in that's where you're going. Yeah, and it's it's just a haunting for you in the middle of nowhere, completely isolated, frozen landscape and he's not even acknowledging her yeah. so i don't know maybe that was him trying to get her to start running um yeah or, so. the, or the fact that he he knew that if he looked to her that he would he would buckle but then who knows if he saw someone in the forest or if he just he couldn't deal with her begging yeah knows? so december 27th 1971 after a lot of conflicting feelings and thoughts and, and sharing that information with her father patricia eventually decided to go to local police and revealed that she was in fact a sex worker and share the events that had transpired with Hansen. She identified Hansen's picture from the colour photos the police had taken, page one. She then said to the officers, I'm here because that guy is probably a premeditated, cold-blooded killer, and if you've got a young girl who was killed around the same time and in the same area, then I believe it was Hansen who killed her. So there was actually another case which was never proven to be Hansen's victim just before this, and it was believed that Patricia saw these headlines in the paper and she felt like, you know, if I don't act now, then more people will be killed by her, at the hands of Hanson. So she, it made her kind of come forward and kind of act. Yeah, it's a very scary and horrible situation to be in, but it was very brave of her to actually go through and do that. Yeah, imagine what the father's feeling as well. That's his daughter. The, the power that he had as a police officer as well, but also knowing if he did reveal it, the information that Hanson had already taken, it's, it's a horrible situation. Definitely, and remember Hanson's out on bail at this point. So after the accusation and with Hanson already on bail, the police brought him in. He pleaded no contest to the assault with deadly weapon in the offence involving um, the estate agent we mentioned at the beginning, but the rape charge involving the sex worker was dropped as part of a plea bargain. He was sentenced to five years in prison, but served less than six months and was placed on a work release programme. Yeah, so this is a trend we've seen already in his life. He's able to act the model prisoner. The word harmless keeps coming to mind with him. He's very unassuming. Um, but even with his stature of being um, small and skinny, and if he's acting that way and acting God-fearing and whatnot, you could kind of quite easily think he had a, a very dark moment, but it, it's it's not within his character. You could, yeah, reminds me of Billy Bob Thornton's character in Fargo when he all of a sudden plays it up when the police are... It's a very niche reference, but he... Um, Turns into a nice bit of a harmless, yeah. yeah, yeah, and very Robert Hansen in could could well be similar. So, well, I'll leave that there. Um, Nineteen seventy, <laughs> good show, but so nineteen seventy-seven. Uh, despite his early release on a work program, Hansen is again imprisoned. This time for theft, uh, and whilst he was imprisoned, he was diagnosed once again with bipolar disorder and prescribed lithium. So that's just something to keep note of as we go later into the timeline. So 21st of July 1980, a body is found by construction workers one mile south of South Aklutna Lake Road in Aklutna Anchorage. She had been stabbed and buried in a shallow grave and partially eaten by animals. She was named Aklutna Annie by police assigned to the case as she could not be identified. 
identified. Due to the extent of her decomposition, police estimated she was killed sometime in 1979. Hansen's account of the incident um, where he came across this, this woman, which he didn't help identify her either. This was his account. She was running down the road and I caught up with her. Matter of fact, I grabbed her by the hair or whatever. And she had a big knife in her purse, a big buck knife. And she grabbed that out of her purse and swung it around. Then things got out of hand. Saying she got a knife out and then I had to kind of act. It, it, he's very much spinning it, so it's on her. Like I said, the thing about this timeline that's odd is a lot of the information comes from his accounts. Could he be picking himself in these? Or could he try to make a play this, playing the victim in these? It's, it's worth kind of taking a pinch of salt with some of these accounts. 19th of May, 1980. Joanna Messina goes missing. At the age of 23, Joanna had arrived in Anchorage with her German shepherd after leaving New York and her husband looking for work and a new life. She was last seen leaving her job at a cannery with her dog by her side. Her body was found in July of 1980 in a gravel pit near Seward, Alaska. She was found in a mouldy sleeping bag not far from where a Klutner Annie had been buried. Her dog was never found. Joanne was too badly decomposed to gain much evidence and animals had carried off a good portion of her body. It was determined that she had died from a 22 caliber bullet wound. So a very kind of similar set of circumstances to a Klutner Annie. Not enough evidence then to tie it to any kind of trend or any kind of potential perpetrator. So just on that, people who knew Joanne often wondered how anyone could possibly have got close enough to her to kidnap or to harm her because her dog, apart from when she was at work, was always by her side and, and German Shepherd, it was very, very protective of her often to a fault so there was a lot of suspicion around her disappearance and again at this time there's similar circumstances and a similar lack of evidence to a Klutner Annie but again there's no clear perpetrator that they could tie it to. Yeah I think like obviously with the wildlife especially over in Alaska leaving bodies out there for a significant amount of time yeah. it, you know it's, it's always going to happen. Not long after Joanne's body was found a special task force was organised to probe the killings so the location of dump sites as well as the ages being similar of the girls led the police to believe the killings were linked so the, the, the killer out there had a similar MO for who they were going after. The law enforcement was frustrated with the lack of progress due to the little evidence and the trail soon went cold. The task force theorised that the killer would be an experienced hunter with low self-esteem and a history of female rejection and he would also be compelled to keep souvenirs. So the profiling was done by Johnny Douglas who is author of Mindhunters and it was apparently called in to assist with the killer's profile along with his FBI team. But if you look at his uh, profile there, experience hunter, tick, low self-esteem, tick, and history of female rejection, they're all, they're all bang on. The money, yeah. yeah. In 1981, Hansen reported a burglary on his home, which he had actually staged. He had claimed that all of his incredibly valuable hunting trophies had been stolen. With the money he got from the insurance company, he opened up a bakery of his own and established himself as a well-liked family man. When the insurance company later spot-checked Hansen with a home visit, they found that all of his trophies had been returned. Hansen claimed that he had found them scattered amongst the wilderness and forgot to let them know. Imagine that. And with this money as well, um, he, he would also go on to, to buy a plane, which will come into play. But yeah, he's now back to his baking and he's got away with fraud. A lot of different crimes he's committing over time. Yeah. Arson, fraud, kidnapping, murder. The 17th of November, 1981, Sherry Morrow, a 24-year-old dancer at the Wild Cherry Bar in Anchorage, had told friends she was going to meet a man who had offered her $300 to pose nude for photographs. Her friend and fellow dancer had previously been accosted by Hansen, but refused as he, as he gave her the creeps. She also questioned why Sherry would want to meet with him, but she shrugged off her friend's concern. Hansen would often brag about having money to girls, often buying champagne, and also casually mention that he owned a plane. So some girls believed that he could be their escape and they could go on to a better life with him. A friend soon reported him missing to the police as she did not return home so he did frequent a lot of these 
lot dive of, bars. Yeah, dive bars, a lot of dance bars were topless bars, and it also would wait outside certain bars just to see the women walking around in certain streets. And he apparently got very excited, kind of just sitting around watching, being a bit of a voyeur, people walking around. But also, I think he's also kind of stalking his prey, like with, with his yeah. with his hunting. Yeah, he would often go to these places and try, you know, offer them extra money to kind of go to the car with him and whatnot. Um, in one of the documentaries I watched, um, she was a friend of Sherry, and she kind of said she, you know, she felt so bad because she did warn her not to go meet with him, but on the day of the date, she did walk with her to kind of go see him. Yeah, she kind of regrets that to, the, regrets that to this day. As Ben mentioned, he did buy a blue and white Piper Super Cub, I don't know, a bush plane. Although he couldn't get a pilot's license because of the medication he was on for the bipolar. His track record suggests he's probably still going to fly without a license. Not going to be afraid of uh, any repercussions there. I think. <laughs> you could be right. You could be right. September 12th, 1982. Sherry's body is found in a shallow grave on a riverbank of the Nick River, which bordered Anchorage by some off-duty police officers who were hunting alongside the river. She had been shot three times in the back, but was found in clothing with no bullet holes, suggesting that she had been redressed after her death and likely been nude when shot. Cartridges were also found near the body, which allowed investigators to determine that Sherry had been shot with a Mini-14 Ruger hunting rifle. That, that kind of does lead into the legend as well, in terms of the bullet holes... Um, um, it was found in her, in her back, so obviously she was running away. But it has been suspected that sometimes with a lot of the girls, they actually did kind of break free from Hanson and were able to make the escape themselves. Not the fact that Hanson said run. Yeah, he didn't go hunting them that way. It was more of a they escaped his his grasp and then they ran, and that was the only thing he felt he could do in order to stop them. 1983. During this year, Hanson began running ads in a local singles newspaper, seeking women who want to join me in finding what's around the next bend, over the next. Hill. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of thing. I can imagine you saying that. Do you want me to say it? Yeah. Okay. Not to me. Okay. To me. Join me in finding what's around the next bend over the next hill. It seemed shorter when I said it. Seemed more desperate. During the summer, he packed his wife and children off to Europe for holiday, which was odd that he could persuade them to do that. He was just like, You guys go off to Europe. I'm staying here. Maybe he's like, The bakery needs me allowing him to save time and energy by bringing his victims into his home. He called this his summer project. Some people might paint the fence, build a shed, but no, he wants to bring sex workers to his house to torture. June 13th, 1983, 17-year-old Cindy Paulson was kidnapped by Hanson. Cindy was a sex worker working the streets of Anchorage. That particular evening, Hanson pulled up alongside her in his car and offered her $200 to perform oral sex. They went to a nearby car park and when finished, Hanson pulled her head back and held a gun to it, telling her he wouldn't hurt her if she cooperated. He took her back to his home where he chained her up, sexually assaulted her, insisting that they have sex on a large bear rug. He then left her in the basement whilst he fell asleep on a nearby sofa. She memorised her surroundings in the basement, such as the hunting trophies and animal heads on the walls. So we'll show some footage and clip and imagery of that now. His basement is terrifying. Yes. The yeah. amount of heads on the wall and it's, it's just, you, you feel so uneasy. Not a place you want to be left alone. No. Not a place you want to be with him either. It's not um, a place you want to be in general. Yes. Um, but also, just just to mention that bear rug, um, when he did do the um, the single ads in the newspaper, he did actually meet a woman um, and he did bring her back to the house and they did end up going in the basement and kissing and he asked, do you want to make love with me on the bear rug? And she went, no. And he didn't actually act out and do anything. He wanted to take her on the plane one day, but it was too windy. So she's, it was a documentary about what she was very much like. I was very, you know, 
thankful that none of this thing's transpired. But the bear rug was yeah. a thing which maybe if, if it was, I don't know for a fact he killed the bear, probably safe to assume he might yeah. have done. Domination thing. So him, yeah, and also getting all of his trophies to watch his new trophy being sexually assaulted by him. Yeah. Maybe that's all part of the power thing. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, in, in Hansen's playbook there, he's pulling out all the stops. He's asking to make love on the on the bear rug, taking her for a ride in the plane, and none of it worked. When Hansen awoke, he ordered her to go into the bathroom and clean herself up, and told her that he would be taking her to his cabin, but that she would be let go afterwards. Hansen drove Cindy to his plane hangar at Merrillfield Airport. While he was getting the plane ready, Cindy managed to escape. Half naked and still handcuffed, as well as being barefoot, she ran out of the car and away from Hansen flagging down a truck and asking the driver to take her to a motel rather than a police station. The driver dropped her off and immediately found a payphone and called the police. So yeah, a the, lucky break there Yeah, as well. I mean, the driver was, he was, you know, very insistent we should call the police and she said, no, 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 I want to be alone, I want to be alone. And then, yeah, he, I believe, you know, he did the right thing, called, called the police straight away afterwards. But yeah, again, that's exactly what I was saying earlier in the situations that a lot of people were running away from him. And, you know, it, it, the whole hunting thing was... I think forced upon him rather than him, him being calculated and think you know making them be on the hunt the motel was called the mush inn <laughs> mushing around at the mush inn oh. um the I was thinking of it sounds like machine rather than you getting all um mushing um yeah so the motel was called the mush inn when the police arrived they were told by a clerk that the woman had taken a cab to another motel the Big Timber. <laughs> I've always wanted to go to um, Anchorage. Not on the note of this, but it's just... It's just a dancing gloves and you go, I've always wanted to go <laughs> to it. Well, that, you know, that's still, you know, I've still got some time. Yeah, you can go to it. You'd fit in. There. Never been. Never been. Um, ever. <laughs> so, yeah, they've gone from the mushing to the Big Timber. And when they arrived at her room, the police officer unlocked her handcuffs with a master key and she told him what had happened. Cindy was able to describe in great detail her attacker, his acne scars, his crooked teeth, how he spoke with a stutter, as well as his blue house and trophy-laden basement. So she memorised uh, that basement and was able to describe it. Cindy also advised police that she had left her shoes in Hanson's car as evidence that she had been there. The police were reluctant to believe Cindy uh, and quite prejudiced about the fact that she was a sex worker, an underage sex worker, and they assumed that this was all part of a bad transaction or a deal gone wrong and an attempt to extort a fairly wealthy man. Just like in many other cases we've done, yeah. it seems to be, obviously, if, if they're a sex worker, it seems to be suddenly their opinion and their their rights just don't matter. Yeah. And people just, especially at this time in, in, in um, Anchorage, apparently it was a kind of booming oil town. Lots of money was going there. So then a lot of these kind of strip clubs were opening up, as well as a lot of sex workers were going there. So kind of people would run away to, the, to there and, you know, people would be coming and going. Such, such a movement of different um, people would be leaving even the city so lots of crimes were happening and the police would not take a lot of them seriously as well with a lot of people going missing and and you know, bodies being found the police kind of probably didn't have as much vigor looking yeah. for these people if, if there were just white middle-class families who come from a good home yeah there was a lot of victim 
uh, victim blaming at this time and, and it was not uncommon as you said for, for people to go missing so yeah it's a horrible set of circumstances as well for, as uh, for worth, Cindy worth mentioning as well Cindy that she was only 17 at the time but there was I've heard the police tapes of her talking and she was very you know she was like I knew I was not going to die this way and she did all the things we had memorised and everything and yeah. really taking note and she really gave the police like so much information for them to go off of from there which was you know which was huge yeah if you're in like a state of sheer panic and she's able to stay calm and, and take that all in that's so even though the police were kind of a bit wary about the um, the accounts Cindy gave they still drove her to the hospital to get her injuries checked and a rape kit but on the way they there they drove past the airfield that Cindy identified as the one that she had seen and been taken to they stopped and Cindy was able to identify Hanson's plane the blue and white super club along with the tail number that she had memorised so yeah she Jesus. managed to maintain all this information uh, the police found that she the plane had belonged to Robert Hanson the hospital checks also revealed that serious sexual assault had taken place so now the police are starting to take her a bit more seriously which maybe they should have done from the beginning yeah. the police then went to Hanson's house and were surprised at how accurately Cindy had described both the house and her attacker police also recognized hansen as a family man and a local baker as i said you know he made good donuts there perhaps the police went there and enjoyed a donut or two he was a well-respected member of the community and hansen when questioned had an alibi for the attack he told police that he had spent the first part of the day with his friend working on a new seat for the plane and he also said they went to another friend's house to plan a fishing trip and his friends would go on to later on to corroborate his alibi which if you're someone coming to you to do that you you Mm-hmm. Hansen also stated when questioned that you can't rape a prostitute which is fucking horrible and I think the police did reply saying in the state of Alaska you can rape a prostitute in terms of yeah, yeah. You, that's physically possible yeah, not that yeah. you can yeah, yeah. Well, I just I saw yeah. that and as well the only group of, of fret, close friends in his whole life that Hansen had, had made was via the North Alaskan Archery Society and these were people that he'd formed relationships with but it was very much a you know you, you go and take part you have a little bit of small talk and that was it so they weren't you know exceedingly yeah. close I friends I saw some clip of a guy who was his friend apparently another one of his friends went hunting with him first and apparently when he came back he said he's different from us when we go on the hunt we enjoy the animals even if we're not hunting them we enjoy seeing the animals we enjoy the, the great outdoors but Hanson enjoys the kill that's the thing he enjoys mm. which would make a lot of sense and so, you know when they all went for drinks as well they're strongbow they had strongbow yeah how did you just an obvious joke isn't it? it's kind of obvious do you remember the advert yeah yeah kind of obvious You strong boys. Favorite comedy series, Bow Selector. That's pretty good. David Bowie. Hansen was so confident in his ability to get away with the assault that he even let police search his house and car. The car was the exact make and model that Cindy had described, but the gun that she reported in her attack was nowhere to be found. The opinions within the police were split. Some believed Hansen and his alibi over the word of a sex worker, whilst others were convinced by the detail of Cindy's account and the accuracy of the description of Hansen and his house, as well as the airstrip and the plane. If she's, if she's just got the gun wrong... After, after everything nitpicky. else like, yeah. come on oh no she's got that one thing wrong but then at this time is Hanson playing up to the whole kind of little harmless guy that you know I think he did say they had an, an encounter and that 
she adds up the price after they've done it and that's where they were kind of she that's why she's, she's trying, trying to extort him yeah yeah that's why she's she's doing all this but it's it's absurd so it even gets to the point where they decide to ask cindy to take a polygraph test in order to confirm her story However, by the time they had decided to do this, she had vanished. The 2nd of September 1983, another body is found in a shallow grave on the bank of the Nick River. Paula Golden, who went missing in April 1983, is found in a similar state as Sherry Morrow, shot in the back and dressed after death. Him dressing them afterwards, I find quite an interesting thing. Is it, do you think it's kind of similar to the idea of, you know, when you shoot an animal, then you put the heads on a thing and get them stuffed, making them look all nice and put them on the wall. Him putting them in the clothes afterwards and having the body kind of, he's not shooting them Displaying in the face. Them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, is it, is it an attempt to, obviously, because he's potentially assaulting, sexually assaulting these victims as well. So potentially it's an afterthought, uh, but maybe he's, I don't know, maybe he's trying to also cover his tracks, but not realise that not realise that they would quickly be able to work out the fact that he's quickly dressed them after death? Or is it some sort of sympathy as well because they're out in the cold? I know that's really clutching at straws, but maybe it is. I think maybe the idea that if the body has been left there for a long period of time and if they decompose or clothed, there wouldn't be any like sign of them being shot could perhaps be it. Mm. He's trying to make it so he's not a suspect there, but I don't know. It's, it's very bizarre. October 27th, 1983, Cindy Polson's testimony, along with the FBI profile and the agreement of one of his previous rape victims to testify, led to the special task force gaining a warrant to search Hansen's home, plane, car and bakery. The police also confronted Hansen's alibis for his attack on Cindy Paulson, saying that if they wanted to keep this lie going, they would also be arrested his friends quickly recanted. Hansen's wife, his children and his mother were at the house when the cars and forensic units turned up. The family had no idea why police were at the home and were shocked when they were told the reason. The family left and allowed the officers to search their home. So imagine that as well for the family. Mm. Two teams of investigators searched the house and found weapons, but nothing to implicate Hansen in the killings. Just as they were about to leave, one of the officers discovered a hidden space tucked away in the attic rafters. They discovered more weapons, various pieces of jewellery, newspaper clippings and a driver's licence. Also various ID cards, some of which belonged to the dead women. They also found jewellery belonging to his victims, a map behind the headboard of Hansen's bed marked with 24 X's. Not only was this in line with the FBI profile that the killer would keep trophies to relive the murders, but also indicated that there were several other victims that had not yet been found. So I think I heard about this as well, was the fact that they looked at those 24 X's, they put it against their map where bodies were found, and they're like, oh, these lines up perfectly, but then like, there's 24. So there's, more, much, like, there's a lot more bodies than we expected as well. Not all were to be discovered, I believe. Just that, by chance as well, they're about to leave and they find this mm, extra space. As incriminating as these items were, the most important piece of evidence was found last, a 223 caliber Mini-14 rifle that matched the bullets discovered by the bodies on the Nick Riverbank. So yeah, that all lined up with what was said and that was the pernickety thing. Obviously, police need to get it right and the gun that they found before wasn't right but this was all lining up. So in this large trophy collection that the police found, which resulted in a successful conviction, there were some very significant items. He kept a fish necklace that had been custom made for victim Andrea Altieri. So yeah, there's such significant things here, you know, name card, you know, identification cards and whatnot, which the police, you know, it, there was no other way that he would have obtained these things. Whilst this was happening, investigators apprehended Hansen on his way to work and asked him to come in for questioning. He didn't bother to ask what this was about, when he was brought in, he was asked about the assaults. He didn't deny being with the woman, 
but he told the police that it was all consensual and he didn't rape them. He stated that the women who'd come forward to testify that they had been raped were just enacting revenge because they altered the prices after sex and he wouldn't pay. Hansen eventually requested a lawyer and was placed under arrest and charged with assault, kidnapping, weapon offences, theft and insurance fraud. February 22nd, 1984, with the mounting evidence including the shell casings from the crime scenes matching the gun found at Hansen's house, he had his defence attorney arrange a meeting with the Anchorage District Attorney. A deal was offered in exchange for a full confession. The district attorney guaranteed he would only be charged with four cases that they knew of. That of a Klutner Annie, Joanna Messina, Paula Golding and Sherry Morrow. And they did this to basically spare his wife and two children the embarrassment of protracted legal proceedings for the total of 17 murders. In exchange for this, he would be able to serve his time in a federal facility rather than a maximum security institution. So I think they're being very generous in their offering here to him well because you're not giving a lot of families closure about the victims but that's they're also then only going to spare him for the total of 17 murders when they've got a map found in his in his attic with 24 crosses on it so i think they're being very uh, generous in this situation and of course hansen agreed to these conditions he then told investigators how he would pick up a woman on fourth avenue which was a popular red light district in anchorage handcuff her or tie her up at gunpoint and then fly her her out to the Nick River, where he would then torture the woman and kill them. The one murder that seemed to excite him when retelling these events was that of Paula Golding. So not far from Nick River, Hanson actually had a, a hunting cabin and he would take many of his victims here. And after raping and torturing Paula, Hanson opened the cabin door and let her run away. After a few moments, he took off after her with his rifle, hunting her. He spoke excitedly about how she had run across some sharp rocks and cut her feet badly forcing her to try and hide under a bush. He then spotted her and called out her name and unfortunately she chose open ground to run over, at which point Hansen shot her in the back. This confession led to the legend he is associated with today, which is that of hunting and killing his victims. So obviously he's getting very excited by this particular retelling of events. And again, we're only going off his word here. Um, you know, unfortunately Paula wasn't able to give her side of events. Police taped his confessions, which lasted over 12 hours during which he admitted to 17 murders. He also said that he had taken over 40 more women hostage during the last 10 years, which he had then released because he believed they were honestly attracted to him. The ones that died were the ones that wouldn't totally submit to his demands. So as we said at the start of the episode, as he was picking his victims or as he was initially um, uh, apprehending or kidnapping his, his victims, he still wouldn't have the end outcome decided mm. um so he would base that mostly off their engagements and their interactions and how the assault it can only be described as an assault would go down and that would then base the outcome for him yeah i think really that them submitting to his his wants was them not rejecting him and yeah. the rejecting him was would make him kind of flip back to you know his previous experiences and make him lash out well the fact that he he referred to it as he let them go because he believed they were honestly attracted to him yeah producer dan is going to read this part is is hansen's confession it essentially goes through how he thought he acted in, in these scenarios and the reason why he did certain things as you can imagine it's it's very rambling and yeah very grandiose in his in his own thinking i pull out the gun i think the standard speech was look you're a professional you don't get excited, you know there is some risk to what you've been doing. If you do exactly what I tell you, you're not going to get hurt. You're just going to count this off as a bad experience and be a little more careful next time who you're going to proposition or go out with, you know. I tried to act as tough as I could, 
to get them as scared as possible. Give that right away, even before I started talking at all. Reach over, you know, and hold that head back and put a gun in her face and get him to feel helpless, scared. Right there, I'm sure. Maybe it's not the same procedure for you. You always try to get control of the situation, so some things don't start going bad. Maybe I've seen some cop shows on TV. I don't know, okay? So when Hampton confessed to the killings, it was winter, so no one could check the ground as it was frozen. And months later, on a flying tour of the wilderness, Hampton began pointing out graves to state troopers, and they recovered 11 bodies over the next eight months. Apparently his memory of where the bodies were buried was immaculate. He knew, you know, within feet of the ground where they were buried that he'd not seen in years. He seemed to enjoy this, becoming excited to relive in the killings. And sometimes when walking handcuffed, over his old killing grounds, he would drop to his knees and dig furiously with his bare hands with a grin on his face. Which, like a dog looking for a bone, is it is it's so disturbing the the image of that. So, 27th of February, 1984, after pleading guilty to the four murders, Robert Hansen was sentenced to 461 years plus life in prison with no chance of parole. He was then remanded to Lewisburg Federal Penitentiary in Pennsylvania. That's the thing, the whole sparing the blushes of, of, of the family. He's serving 461 years, mm-hmm. as is. The other victims are just not going to, the family's not going to get any closure whatsoever. It it's, seems it's absurd to me, especially if they found the bodies where he's pointed out. And that's all going to be in the paper anyway. It's not like people aren't reporting on this. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very bizarre. It's, it's got similarities to Israel Keys, hasn't it? Because there may be more victims out there that haven't yet been pinned down to Hansen. He also obviously wanted to avoid the big headlines, but that wasn't the case, as, as we've said. Also, the fact that there's no death penalty in Alaska. Maybe the whole time he was, you know, carrying out these crimes and these brutal, brutal murders, he knew the fact that the, the worst possible outcome is the rest of his life in prison mm. or potentially, you know, taking his own life, which, you know, will, will go on. He, did, he didn't do. He lived out a, a fairly happy and healthy, you know, he died of natural causes, which is infuriating. So I want to do a quick shout out to Maxine Farrell, who was the homicide detective on this case. Um, she was one of the first female detectives in the area. She did the hard yards on this and looking into the missing girls and was the first to say and did the link that it was actually a serial killer. When she did this and she spoke to the other policeman and saying that this was her kind of thoughts, she was laughed at. Yeah, she's like just a, like a real badass. If you watch the documentary I watched, which was called Mind of a Monster, The Butcher Baker, which I highly recommend, she's talking to the camera throughout it and she's kind of given her her thought process throughout it all and you can kind of like really see the determination she brought to it which really helped kind of actually catch Hansen and you also see the cops that even the way they word certain things you can kind of see their disdain towards sex workers you can kind of like they kind of creeps out of certain things they say it's also got lots of tapes on that documentary of Hansen talking which apparently the lawyer was very surprised was used because apparently that was one of the agreements those tapes wouldn't see the light of day but yeah it's very fascinating to hear to hear the kind of hear the words coming out of his mouth as well in terms of why he did it and all that, all those things. So we're going to throw over to our resident doctor, Dr. Das, now to give us a bit more insight in terms of what really was going on in Robert Hansen's mind. Hello, everybody. My name is Dr. Shaham Das. I'm a consultant forensic psychiatrist, and this is my psychoanalysis of the case of Robert Hansen. So let's look, first of all, at Hansen's background in his childhood and see if that can give any clues about his later personality. We know that his father was Danish and was an immigrant, and we know that he was quite a strict father, so he was a strict disciplinarian. And Hansen's childhood was was turbulent, I think is fair to say. He worked long hours in a bakery. He had a bit of a stutter, so I believe he was bullied quite badly at school. And I think there's something about his father kind of forcing him or shaping him into be something that he naturally wasn't. This shows the picture of, of a 
young boy who's forced to appear a certain way. So he can't really speak his mind necessarily in front of his father. Uh, some of his natural tendencies are being squashed. So I think there's a difference between his natural inner self and the self that he has to project outside to others. So we know that Hansen was a bit of a social outcast and he spent a lot of his time going uh, big game hunting and he actually became quite good at this. So I wonder whether he took out his like his rage and his frustration on these animals. But a bit like when you get a tolerance to using like a substance or a drug, maybe after a while his tolerance started increasing so he wanted something a bit more juicy to use as his target and that's when his his sexual dominance over women started to come into play so in 1972 Hanson was arrested twice and alarmingly there was very little actual retribution from this even though the crimes were quite serious so i wonder whether he's starting to feel emboldened so as a child, he had an inferiority complex, whereas now he thinks of himself as smart. He can get away with what he wants to a degree. A few years later in Alaska, bodies are showing up. So the police are starting to look for a serial killer. And after a while, even though he managed to get away with previous similar offenses, he becomes one of the prime suspects. So there was a psychological profile made by an FBI agent called Douglas about what the uh, perpetrator might be like. To be honest, I'm a little bit skeptical about criminal profiling because there have been some high profile cases where the police have been misled unintentionally by this profiling and have looked at the wrong victims. And when we look at this particular profile, I'm not that convinced that it has anything to do with the psychology of the killer itself. So it's more about the characteristics. So one thing that Hansen did is that he would take his victims, these women out, he would fly them out miles away to his to his cabin north of Alaska and he would rape them so horrific crimes if he felt he could dominate them or manipulate them he would swear them to secrecy by scaring them so he would use his own power and his dominance to terrorize these women and if they didn't or if he didn't think they would cooperate then he would kill them so they would end up with this hor horrific gruesome kind of ending so to me this is shows an unusual level of risk taking because most people would want to get rid of the evidence whereas Hansen had so much confidence and he had so much dominance over these women that he actually genuinely believed that they wouldn't reveal what he had done to them. So again, this emboldens him. He has this core belief now, which is that I'm untouchable. I can get away with anything I want. So let's look at the potential diagnosis of Hansen. Obviously, I don't have the benefit of assessing him in person. So I think the term psychopathy or psychopath are thrown, is thrown around quite loosely, especially when it comes to, to murderers or serial killers. A psychopath is not just somebody who uses an extreme amount of violence. That's a misconception. It's much more than that. So a psychopath, as well as having the core symptoms of not knowing or not caring about the difference between right and wrong, and having a lack of empathy and not learning from their mistakes and being impulsive and aggressive, those, those are the core elements of being a psychopath, but it's more than that. It's also about, about being quite charming and manipulative. And I would argue that Hansen was those things. I think an interesting question would be, Robert Hansen, is his belief system in keeping with what we would call the incel movement now? You might have heard that term, incel stands for involuntary celibate. And it's basically about a group of usually young men who have quite misogynistic views related to the fact that they think that society is unfair because they're not particularly good looking. They think they have a genetic disadvantage and they kind of complain against the whole system about how they don't have the same uh, opportunities to find um, sexual mates as more attractive males. So I would think that Hanson definitely does have some 
misogynistic ideology and there's obviously a theme of sexual dominance when you look at how he he almost played with his prey uh, and hunted hunted the, his victims down however i don't think i'd class him as incel because he's not actually celibate despite having sexist and misogynist views in my view he wouldn't quite fit that definition if you're interested in this kind of thing then you should definitely go check out my youtube channel a psych for sore minds i'm a consultant forensic psychiatrist so i assess mentally disordered offenders for a living in courts and in prisons and in secure units but anyway that's enough for me let's get back to the case back to you tom and ben so thank you very much, Dr. Das. I think um, as we move into kind of the aftermath of the Robert Hansen case, I think one thing that really stands out is that he was living two lives, but his professional life and his, his personal life, was he was very successful. He was seen as an upstanding member of, commu- of the community, had a successful bakery, was you know well-liked, had a family, regarded as a family man. So uh, yeah, as Ben said, he, he was a skilled hunter, a big game hunter, and Hansen had four animals entered into the Pope and Young record book in 1969, 1970, and 1971. So this is basically a big hunting book where a lot of the records for, for kills had been kept. Representatives of Pope and Young said that Hansen's crimes didn't invalidate his bow hunting records, but they finally um, removed his name from the record books so um, his records were for uh, killing a dull sheep which is a mountain sheep and the number two barren ground caribou which is a type of reindeer but as i said if you look at pictures of his basement it's it's, it's so unnerving just all these animal heads looking at you in the middle of the room one of the reasons why hansen said when he was being interrogated the reason why he was going to see sex workers was because you know as a good christian man uh, he said he wanted some oral sex but he wouldn't under no circumstances ask his wife to perform it so that was the only way he was going to get that and as i mentioned earlier on um hansen referred to losing his virginity to a sex worker and said it was disappointing saying i think that part of the reason i figured that if a person was going to pay for it they should be in the driver's seat. So, uh, yeah, I think from that, he kind of established a very dour, sour look towards sex workers as well, along with his hatred from a kid towards women. It just all kind of... And that all seems to stem from, as a kid and as a teenager, he was rejected by girls at school. Yeah. That's where that's all come from. So there is a bit of an incel element to his his psyche there. So all in all, 17 confirmed murder victims that that, that, that have been proven could be, you know, some, some documentaries, some podcasts have speculated up to 40 plus victims for Robert Hansen. At least one attempted murder in addition to that, at least 30 rape victims and at least one additional attempted rape victim. The age ranges of his victims all female ranged from as young as 16 through to 41 and due to the incredibly remote location of most of the murders it is unknown the official total number of victims yeah apparently over the years uh, alaskan hunters have found corpses over the time and hansen would would be questioned over it in an attempt to determine if there are any of his other victims but it doesn't seem to be any have been added to that darla would his wife would go on to divorce hansen um being a religious woman she stayed with him for over two years after the trial and and moved the family to arkansas due to the children being bullied over their father and then she ended up moving to russia and teaching english in russia to get properly away from it i, I imagine apparently when hansen's children did visit him as well when he was in prison he was very verbally abusive towards them which i it's, it's, a, it's a horrible scenario. You, have, you do have to think about the family as well that happened to go through all that. So according to Hansen's biographer, Darla said she knew he was up to no good, but she thought Hansen's dirty secret was picking up sex workers in the middle of the night before he opened the bakery. So she already suspected him yeah. of like infidelity. But again, I think we've had this before with another, with another marriage where they kind of just wanted to betray the perfect family 
I can't remember which, which case it was, but I think it was uh, Chikatilo. They wanted to portray the perfect family and the most, you know, the most happily married couple when in fact they were living totally different lives and it wasn't yeah. quite right. So a rare positive to come out of this case was that it inspired Alaska State Troopers to create methods to deal with sexual assault victims and they built a $56 million crime lab to process evidence. It's, 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 a, it's a rare positive to, to take out of this case. On Alaska, so um, Robert Hansen is the most prolific serial killer in, in Alaskan history. There are some similarities to Israel Keys, who also hunted people in Alaska and across uh, the United States. In Alaska, a recent study by the World Population Review suggested that to date there have been 51 serial killer victims in Alaska, with a third of these at minimum belonging to Robert Hansen which is kind of a scary thought mm. in itself. They stated that serial killers may be attracted to the idea of killing in Alaska because of the relative isolation and lack of law enforcement in some places. A serial killer could claim several victims and there would be little concern or suspicion raised. Not only that, but the Alaskan wilderness makes for a perfect dumping grounds based on the number of wildlife in the area. The logging, construction and oil industries that drive Alaska's economy results in a high number of seasonal workers. This makes up a largely male population and in turn contributes to a high number of sex workers kind of migrating to Alaska. Serial killers often target sex workers both in Alaska but also elsewhere in America. And as we mentioned earlier, Alaska as a state has never had a death penalty. They abolished capital punishment two years before Alaska gained statehood. Alaska's always been on the on the bucket list, but I'm thinking twice about it now. I think you're the MO. In terms of a motive for Hansen, there's obviously a strong element of control and power, organised lust, um, many believing that he is a certified thrill killer, motivated by sex, control and power. There are also some possible kind of incel vibes there. Similarities with Israel Keys and Elliot Roger. So the police are still actively trying to find out who Eklutna Annie is, because after this time, still her body still has not been recognised as the you know, who exactly the victim is. So the judge said in the case, before you sits a monster, an extreme aberration of a human being who has walked among us. Not even his wife of 20 years had an inkling of his dark, evil side. His crimes numb the mind. Quite a quote from the judge there. And yeah, it is a very dark case. And it is kind of, you know, she said Dala did expect him of some infidelity, but that was literally it. And he did, he did manage to hide from a lot of people. And luckily the evidence and, you know, a lot of brave women came forward and pushed this through, including, you know, the detective who helped push this case onward. So it's like a 12 year span of these murders as well. And some of which will never be solved. I think he, he got away with it for a longer period of time. I mean, even when he was confronted or arrested for, for, other crimes he would be released early discharged early i think one particular sentence that he had for a petty theft they deemed was too harsh of a sentence given to him so he'd always kind of play the victim but the psychology of 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 the guy as well is is absolutely fascinating there's one particular uh, video that kind of deconstructs like a psychological breakdown of hansen which is really really uh, interesting to watch one of the elements stated that he had few positive emotions in his life had zero empathy could not resist temptation but also they stated that he was clinically depressed but not to a vulnerable state which meant that he was able to stay calm in the most unimaginably stressful of situations which you can kind of again see when he is interrogated and when he's returning to crime scenes although yeah he's given his own statements some of the witness statements kind of back that up as well that he would just look off into the distance yeah. it's, it's really creepy and some of the women who did, were able to come forward um, said that he was able to lure women in, into the false sense of security his looks were so average that one of his um, rape victims reported he sort of looked like the perfect dork 
Um, most women felt no need to fear him due to his appearance. In one of um, Hansen's police interviews, he stated that about the killings, I guess it made me feel masculine or powerful or in control of my life. One interesting opinion I read is that perhaps with the success and control that he finally obtained in his adulthood, compared to the misery and, and disappointment that he went through in his childhood, maybe not only was he acting out uh, revenge, but he was trying to kind of relive a lost childhood. Mm. So as I said, the kind of legend versus fact stuff here, um, with, with you know it very much being, I was led to believe when I first kind of we were first looking into the case that he would regularly free women to then hunt. But Frank Rothschild, who was the prosecutor in Hanson's trial, went on to say this, which I think is quite interesting. He let them run a little bit, and then he enjoyed a little hunt, just like with his big game animals. He toyed with them. He wanted to scare them. He got a charge out of all of this. They weren't shot right where it all started. He let them run. He grabbed them, and then they'd claw a little bit, and he'd let them run a little more and played with them. And where later on, um, Walter Gilmore, um, who was an Alaska State Trooper and author, spoke early on about the truth of Rothschild's claims. When asked, um, did Robert Hansen hunt his victims, consciously releasing them in the bush so he could run, run them down and kill them like wild animals? Walter didn't think so. Hansen was a chicken killer. He was too afraid to kill himself, so he killed women. Also, it's worth noting that as the killings increased, more stab wounds were found on the victims, showing that yeah, it was his end goal. And that's where he got most satisfaction from, rather than the hunt. Which is interesting. So with most of the being more stab wounds than, you know, bullet wounds in the victims later on, if that was his MO, that's what he wanted to do, then all the cases would be the same in terms of the bullets as well. Kind of, yeah, it's, it's very interesting that, that that legend's kind of... I think a lot of people were fanning the flames a little yeah. bit. The press and... Uh, Definitely. And yeah. Hanson himself. But then also you have to go off the witness statements that did survive. It does kind of line up in most cases that he was hunting them but it's yeah i think they said like they kind of shook away from him and made their escape and that's what he had to do so in terms of uh hansen he was kind of housed between different uh, correctional facilities throughout alaska and he was eventually moved to spring creek correctional center which if you look at photos of it it looks like one of the, it's one of the nicest looking prisons from the outside i've ever seen um just for i haven't seen pictures of the inside so maybe we'll pop some we'll pop some outside ones up now look at that it's really nice um inside Let's have a look. Maybe it's, maybe it's nice. He was eventually then uh, transported in 2014 to Anchorage Correctional Complex, which had more of a kind of medical facility on site. And he would eventually pass away on August 21st of 2014 at the age of 75, dying from natural causes that were linked to long-term health conditions. There was a movie made about uh, Robert Hansen called Frozen Ground with John Cusack playing Hansen. Apparently, uh, the house that they use uh, for Robert Hansen was his actual house. It is a creepy watch. Um, I actually think John Cusack is very good in that type of role. As we mentioned earlier, well, Nicolas Cage was the uh, Alaska yeah. State Trooper and Vanessa Hudgens plays Cindy Paulson as well. So yeah, I need to watch that. I haven't seen that. I, it's, it's a worth, I think it's on Netflix in the UK at the moment. Oh. So it's, it's, it's worth a watch. But well, there's yeah. a top tip from Ben. There you go. How many stars? Um, well, let's go three out of five. It's not bad, is it? Yeah, it's a, it's a meh. Not as good as Zodiac, which I probably made clear last week is a very good film. So there are a lot of similarities from the Robert Hansen case to the case of Thomas Dillon, which is slightly lesser known. Thomas Dillon being a mild-mannered draftsman and family man from Ohio, known for his love of hunting and the outdoors. Dillon shot and killed at least five men between 1989 and 1992, most of whom were fellow hunters and fishermen whom Dillon stalked through the woods. He even kind of looks like Hansen in a bit of a John Goodman from Big Lebowski way. The new series of Dexter, uh, New Blood, 
it's also very much one of the main kind of characters and the and the criminals in that it's very i read it online the director was inspired by this case as well so it's kind of that's involved in the story i don't want to give anything too much away a great series never dexter. watched dexter loads of people told me to it's very it good out. it's very worth a watch yep. on, on the theme of cold places uh, at the moment one show i'm really into is hbo's the terror um i thoroughly recommend it it's it's like a horror drama series based on real life events the tourist on bbc there you go <laughs> that's, that's, ho- that's a hot place hot place uh, that is in australia Anyway, we're on to our lookalikes. Dan hasn't seen any of these, and we, I think we might make this more of a thing. Show producer Dan, see which one he rates and doesn't rate. Are you up for that, Dan? Yeah, I'm ready to scroll. Here cool. we go. Uh, we'll start with number one, uh, the weakest of the three, David Cross, known for uh, Arrested Development. I've gone for David Cross kind of from the st- scary movie days. Um, mm, that's all right. My second one uh, is Buddy Holly. Quite like that. But my third and easily strongest one is as if there was a third member of the Proclaimers, which I think is, is yeah, that's probably good. probably my best one, one ever. Yeah, that's good. Ever, no, that's good. Ever so far, ever. I've gone with um, Matthew Broderick. It's not great. I'm not putting that down as one of my best. <laughs> it's in the eyes. There's something about it though. Yeah. It's the sad eyes. Um, and then this Hanson here looks like Gary Busey playing Buddy Holly. <laughs> Okay, yeah. 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 Good one. Yeah. Same glasses. Yeah, I think that, because when you said Buddy Holly, I thought that's probably who you thought when you said we both get the same one. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably what you said, but yeah. Gary Busey's got the kind of slightly. That's very good. Asymmetrical features as well. Good effort good. from you both. So, who would you say Proclaimers wins that? I think so, I'm yeah. Happy to, I'm happy to say that. Busey's not bad. Abuse is very good, but Proclaimers just went. But anyway, um, a yeah, big thank you to uh, Gully Garms for kitting us out. A big thank you to Dr. Das for giving us that clinical input and a uh, different um, viewpoint on this case. It's, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting one, and by all means, uh, yeah, look, check out that documentary I mentioned. There's lots of different podcasts as well about this case. It's a very fascinating one. And watch the film Ben loves so much. Three stars. Uh, frozen Ground, yeah. Three stars. Uh, three stars, yeah. That. But then also the tourist BBC, uh, for the do, terror BBC. Not, nothing to do with this case, isn't it? Though? Uh, and if you want to, if you want to rate things, why not go on our iTunes and rate? Give us a five star rating because it's very much appreciated. It does really help us. Really does help. And and speaking of um, you know extra things to watch, extra things to do. As we mentioned, we have got a Patreon page. Really supports the channel. It's patreon.com forward slash Pod. We upload a new episode every single week. It's just one pound a week. Audio and visual episodes available, um, and we even do. Uh, case requests over there we've had a case request for the alaskan avenger which is Ooh. quite a good title that obviously we but it sounds use. positive doesn't it again but we've picked um, a we've picked a title for this case i'm sure we have that's bloody brilliant i don't know what it is yet <laughs> but future us smash that or hold on us <laughs> also if you want to support the uh, podcast in a different way go to icmap.store and there's lots of good knickknacks over there i keep mm-hmm. saying it there's a bloody candle if you want to get romantic there's a hat if you're a bit shy after a date that maybe didn't go so great mm-hmm. uh there's a, there's a mug <laughs> there's mugs in there as well to drown your sorrows to drown your sorrow, but with a coffee perhaps just a mug for a coffee maybe you want to be look a bit edgy in the workplace mm. like, oh what's he? he's got he's got murder in on there that's an edgy mug maybe i should talk to daniel at lunchtime any name we could go with, I went with Daniel. But there, there we have it. And don't forget to follow us on the socials at Could Murder a Pod. And we'll be posting a lot of things on there with when we're announcing what the next episode is, it'll be announced mm-hmm. over there. And what a big episode it is next week as well. Excited to be uh, back here in Boston Sound delivering that one with the boys. You know, in terms of other updates from us, that's about it. That's about it. 
that's about it but we'll be back next week with a new case with new gully garms with new dr das input with new producer dan giggles <laughs> i mean if that doesn't say it to you what the fuck will anyway like we always say we say this all the time keep doing what you're doing well unless it's the secret attic uh, compartment Mm, for a fraudulent um, fraudulent trophies hiding and bakery Mm, great donuts apparently anyway not sure see ya until next time (laughs) (laughs) and his name is have been listening to I Could Murder a Podcast written and presented by Tom Norris and Ben Carter produced and mixed by Dan Lambert at Boston Sound additional research and timelines written by Danielle St. Romain additional voiceover by Laurel Lefko artwork and animation by Phil Wooten and theme song by Alfie Indra if you've enjoyed this episode please remember to subscribe on YouTube and leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Just search at CouldMurderAPod. For additional and exclusive content, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash CouldMurderAPod. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.